Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Grovetown campus, South Campus. Dream Center, and you guys laying at the beach watching this from vacation, wherever you are, we're glad that you're here. Glad for those of you who are here in this this room, it's going to be a great day as we continue in this series, The Footsteps of Jesus. You know, my my little, um, my youngest son who's eight, he loves for me to tell like embarrassing stories from when I was a kid, so he's always asking about, you know, silly things I did or dumb decisions I made. And one of his favorite stories is when I was four years old, I was in preschool, and I thought that I was a pretty tough four-year-old. So I decided, just like you kind of would on the prison yard, you know, you find the biggest kid and, and you try to stand up to him. So there was this kid in our preschool named Bruce who was like twice my size. At four years old, I pictured him still having chest hair and tattoos. I mean, this was just like a big kid. And so I went up to him one day and I was like, hey, I'm tougher than you. And he said, no, you're not. I said, I am. He said, oh yeah, prove it. I said, okay, I'll prove it. Tomorrow during snack time, when the teacher's doing her thing, and we meet over here where all the guys meet, which was in this little corner of the, of the room where there was a fake kitchen, little kitchenette set and stuff that kind of blocked you off from the teacher so you could do stuff. I said, I'm going to let you punch me in the stomach as hard as you can, and I'm not going to cry. He said, yeah, you will. I said, no, I won't. So it was set. So I went home, barely slept that night, thinking, what did I do? Why did I do this? But instead of backing out of it, I'm like, no, I got to follow through. I'm not going to go off to kindergarten next year with a reputation as a punk who doesn't keep his word. So I showed up the next day. All the boys in the class were waiting for snack time so that we could meet over there in a little fake kitchen and Bruce could roll up his tattooed arm and get ready to punch me in the, in the stomach. And we got back there, looked around, coast was clear. I flexed my stomach. He reached back and punched me and it felt like Mike Tyson had like punched a hole through my stomach. I felt his fist hit the back wall behind me. I looked at him in the eyes and I said, it didn't hurt, it didn't hurt. He's like, whatever. I'm like, why is your voice so low? You know, and he, he walked off and my friends were like, you all right? I'm like, I'm good, just give me a minute. And they walked off and then I slid down that wall and I cried and cried and cried. And I thought, why did I do that? Like, what did that prove? That was so dumb, right? I think sometimes in life, whether you're four years old or 94 years old, there are things that we do that are just kind of dumb, if we're honest. And usually what gets us into those situations is that we've stopped listening to the wise voices in our lives. We've stopped listening to our teachers, our parents, our mentors, the voice of wisdom that, that just God gives us with age, and most importantly, the instruction that comes from God's Word. And we just start doing whatever feels right in the moment. But the thing is, our feelings lead us to some really bad places sometimes. If we're just following our feelings, your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will tell you a bad idea is a good one and vice versa. So when Jesus came on the scene, he came for a number of reasons. First and foremost, he came to live a perfect life, die in our, de- die in our place on the cross, paying the cost for our sins so that once we put our faith in him, We could be made right with God forever, adopted into his family, and then Jesus rose from the dead, showing his power over death, hell, and the grave, and that same power can live inside of us once we invite him into our lives. He came to to live that life and die that death, but he also came to teach us 
how to live in this life. He came to show us the way to avoid, help us avoid causing unnecessary pain and creating unnecessary pain. Because when we're not listening to Jesus, when we're just doing our own thing, and all of us have been guilty of that, me included, sadly, that four-year-old punch in the stomach wasn't the last time I did something stupid. I'm a slow learner. But whenever we are abandoning God's word and just doing what feels right, we're going to hurt ourselves and others. Jesus wants to prevent us from doing that. It doesn't mean that following his truth is going to mean an easy life or you're never going to experience hardship because in this world, we're all going to experience hardship. Jesus said, in this life, you'll have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But even when hardship comes, his teachings give us that perspective and that wisdom to know we don't have to lose heart. We don't have to fall apart when things seem to be falling apart around us because Jesus has given us his truth to be able to hold on to no matter what we're facing in life. So we're in week three of the series, The Footsteps of Jesus, and over the last couple weeks, we've been going to these places via video from this uh, Israel trip Ashley and I led a few weeks ago to see the places where Jesus' teachings and miracles actually took place so that when we open up the scriptures, we can visualize these places. This isn't a fictional book we're reading. These, these are real stories from real places with real people. And the last couple of weeks, we looked at the miracles of Jesus, the birth in the early days of Jesus. Today, we're going to look specifically at his teachings. He is the greatest teacher who ever lived. And if we'll follow the teachings of our Lord and Savior, it will lead you to the, the life that you and I were meant to live. So we're going to open up the Gospels today, which are the, the four books in the Bible that contain the story and teachings of Jesus. And then we're going to go to some of those places via video as well. The one principle that kind of holds all of these four sermons together, if you're following along in the notes, it's this one. It's that the more we understand the world where Jesus walked, the more we'll be able to understand his plans for our world today. The more we can understand the context and the culture and what was happening in that world, then all of a sudden the application to our world is a whole lot simpler. So we're the first story from Scripture and the first place we're going to go. It's, it's the spot where Jesus probably spent more time than any other place during the three years of his active ministry with his disciples. It's the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is this, this beautiful, really just like a really big lake in the middle of Israel. It's where they fished. It's where they hung out. It's where a lot of miracles happened. And around the shores of the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus spent almost all of his time teaching, doing miracles, building relationships. And this is kind of how that started in Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. He sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. This time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear A shout for help brought their partners in the boat, and soon the boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So Jesus showed him his miraculous power, and they 
pass the test by, by listening to Jesus. You know, our, our lives are really defined by the moments we say yes to Jesus or the moments we say no to Jesus. So in this moment, Jesus kind of gave them a simple test. These were fishermen. They'd fished all night. They hadn't caught anything. They were professional fishermen. They knew the sea. They'd spent their lives on it. They knew the best time to catch fish. They'd had, a, they'd had a, no luck. And now Jesus is saying, well, I want you to go back out and I want you to try again. Now, in their pride, Peter could have said, listen, teacher, you, you know a lot about a lot of stuff, but between the two of us, I'm the pro at fishing. This is my boat. This is my crew. These are my nets. My dad taught me to do this from the time I could walk. This is, this is what I do. And this is not the right time of day to catch fish. The sun is out. It is hot. The fish are not hanging at the surface of the water to feed. They're down in the lower depths of the water to cool off. My nets won't even reach that far. He knew that practically this didn't make sense. But instead, he humbled himself and said some of the most powerful words we can say when, when Jesus instructs us through his word to do something. He said, if you say so. If you say so. And then he went back out, humbling himself, and he cast his nets on the opposite side of the boat, just as Jesus had instructed, and this miraculous haul of fish came in. Jesus showed them his power. He also showed them what happens when we just say yes to Jesus, when we trust that he really does know what's best for us. And then he said, now you've been fishing for fish all your life, but I want you to use that same work ethic, those same principles, and we're gonna go out now and I'm gonna help you attract not fish, but people, because my heart is to help save as many people as possible with the message and the truth of who I am and why I came, and I'm choosing you guys to be on the front row for that, not only to watch it happening, but to be a part of it happening by sharing what I've done for you and now going out into the world and telling others I've done it for them as well. And now 2,000 years later, you and I are called to the same thing those first disciples were called to, to know God's word, to obey God's word, and then to go out into the world and share it with people. It's the most attractive message ever. The gospel means good news. This is the best news the world's ever known, that God cares about you. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. He's got, he's got instructions in your life that take some of the mystery and fear out of life and replace it with peace. You can have all of that too if you'll trust your life into Jesus' hands. So the place where it happened, the Sea of Galilee, was one of my favorite stops uh, on, on the trip. We were on a, a big fishing boat, and the guys would throw their nets over the side and show us, that, like, this isn't the time of day to catch fish, but we'll show you how it works. And they threw the nets, and it came back empty. And I pictured during that same time of day, Peter getting this huge haul of fish. It was a sweet time. They played worship music for us, and, and they, they shared about their history as fishermen. These guys, just like the disciples, had spent their lives fishing on these waters, and then at the very end, they said, now we have a very special farewell song for you that they played over their loudspeakers. And I was expecting some like really, I don't know, meaningful worship song or maybe some, something in Hebrew that was like a big, rich part of their culture. And instead, their favorite farewell song to play for us was Sweet Caroline. So all of a sudden, Neil Diamond is blasting across the Sea of Galilee and we're all like, bum, bum, bum. Good times never cease. So you know, we, we were into it. It just took me by surprise, all right? It took me by surprise. But we had some really sweet moments on the sea, um, singing some worship songs, and just imagining all the things that Jesus and his disciples did in that very, very spot. It was surreal. So let's go there together for a couple minutes. 
Wow, guys, I can't believe where I am right now. I am on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And this sea, this beautiful sea all around me, is where Jesus and his disciples spent most of their time. They were fishermen. This is where Jesus called his disciples. This is the water that Jesus walked on. This water right here is the water Jesus walked on and called Peter to come out of the boat to join him. Man, this is the water where, where Jesus told him, look, cast your net to the other side and you're gonna catch all of these fish to where they first really believed in his miraculous power. It's on the shores of these waters that Jesus taught and did so many of his miracles. And I don't know about you, but when I read about the Sea of Galilee in the Bible, it's one of those places that just seemed like unreal, like it was in this other world from a Lord of the Rings book or Chronicles of Narnia or something. But to be here and say, you know what, this is, this is real, to taste the air, to, to touch the water, to know that this is where our Lord and Savior spent his life and his ministry, it really is something fascinating. And now reading the Gospels, hearing about the fish that they caught, the water that they walked across, the, the storms that they endured right here on this water where Jesus would calm the storm, so much of the miraculous power of our Savior and his teachings, it happened right here on the Sea of Galilee. We just had our guide throw a fishing net over the side of this boat because they fish right from this boat, showing us the same method that the disciples would have used 2,000 years ago. And the whole experience has been really, really surreal. So the Sea of Galilee has been a highlight of this trip so far. Can't wait to show you what's next. You know, recently, one of the, the biggest archaeological discoveries at the Sea of Galilee in the past hundred years is they unearthed an actual fishing boat from the same era of Jesus and the disciples, a 2,000-year-old fishing boat, which you can go and see. And it's much smaller than the boat we were on. The disciples would not have been in a huge boat. This would have been like handmade out of wood. And all 12 of them plus Jesus would have been in a boat probably the size of the one that they discovered, which wasn't big at all. And so all of a sudden, when you're reading these stories now of, of the, the storm that hit the sea that Jesus calmed and how afraid they were of the storm, it seems even scarier because if you're in a small boat without any kind of motor in the middle of a, a sea and the winds are raging all around you, it is a helpless feeling. But when Jesus is in the boat with you, even if it's a tiny little boat and even if you feel powerless, you can know that you're going to be okay because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is there. And he'll either calm the storm or he'll calm your own heart to help you weather the storm. And if you're facing a storm today, a storm of any kind, just know that Jesus is with you in that boat. And so you don't have to be afraid. So Jesus' teachings teach us so much. And I think some of what he taught the disciples right there at the Sea of Galilee revealed this principle. Jesus' teachings show us that God's plans are always better than our own plans. When we turn over control to him of every part of our life, including our career, like Peter did. All right, Lord, you're, you're saying to cast my nets over here to go back out on the water. I'm gonna trust you and do it instead of letting our pride say, Lord, I'm gonna keep you in a box. I'll trust you on Sunday morning. I'll trust you with certain things, but, but my job, my career, I'm the expert there. You know, when it comes to my money, that's my business. I'm not gonna listen to your instruction there. When it comes to this part of my life, you don't have access to that. But when we say, Lord, every part of my life, my thoughts, my motives, my dreams, my gifts, my money, my family, my job, all of it is yours, and I want to trust it to you, then he's really going to be, guide us through life the way we were meant to go. I heard an actor once giving an interview about this, uh, this chase scene he had done 
in a, in a movie. And it looked so real, the guys were saying. There's no way that was CGI. There were these cars coming right at you, and the camera was right behind you. And you could see that you were literally weaving in and out of this traffic as people were flying towards you. It was death-defying. How in the world did you film that? And he said, you're right, it was not CGI. But what you didn't see is that my steering wheel wasn't actually connected to the motor. What you didn't see is the best stunt driver in the world was in a cage on top of the car actually driving. And his steering wheel was the one that was connected to the motor. And this carefully choreographed scene with people flying toward us, my life was in the hands of the best driving hands in the world. And so while, yeah, I was turning the wheel and it looked like I was doing everything and I was sweating it out, I knew that I was in control because he had done it a million times before and I knew that I was totally safe. And even if I made a wrong turn, it really wouldn't matter because my life was in his hands. And really the Christian faith is somewhat like that. It's like when we invite Jesus to literally take the wheel in our lives, then he's the one who's gonna help us navigate through all of life's chaos and all life's storms. And even when we do take a wrong turn here or there, he says, listen, let me come alongside you. We're gonna start right from where you are. We're gonna take the mess right from where you are and we're gonna move forward together towards better things. So you can trust your mess, your life to him and say, Lord, right from where I am, I want you to take the wheel of my relationships, my career, like all these parts of my life, this addiction I'm struggling with, whatever it is, and we're going to get through it together. And he will, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. All right. So the next place that we're going to go is, where's the next place we're going to go? You ever lose your place in your Bible? It happens sometimes. All right, we're going to go to the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus preached the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. You can find this uh, sermon in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in your Bible. And in this three-chapter Sermon on the Mount, you can read the whole thing in 10 or 15 minutes, the teachings Jesus gave were unlike anything anyone had ever heard. No teacher had taught like this with the authority that Jesus had, with, with the insight that Jesus had. And he was saying things that were just mind-blowing and still are today. And if we'll apply the truths of his teaching to our lives, it really will shape your life. The mount where this happened, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, they call it the Mount of Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes are what we refer to the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is saying, blessed are those who do this, blessed are those who do that. And I want to read that part of the sermon to you before we go via video to the Mount of Beatitudes. So this is from the beginning of the sermon, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On the day he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around them, and he began to teach them. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing the right thing, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then from that list of blessings, Jesus went on to give instruction about life and faith and how to live and how to have relationships and how to pray. And it was so practical and so meaningful. And I wanna take you to the very spot where all this took place. Let's go there together. 
I'm so excited about where I'm standing right now. I'm on the Mount of Beatitudes in Israel, which is the mountain where Jesus delivered his most famous teaching, the most famous sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And from this spot in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, we have the recording of Jesus giving the very heart of all of Christianity in one sermon. I cannot imagine being there to hear it, but it is still so cool being here on that mountainside where Jesus gave lessons that, that no one else had ever heard of before. He said, blessed are those who do this and that. And he would say things that didn't sound very blessed, frankly. But what he was doing was showing people that they could have blessing in God. Even if the world did something that meant it for evil in God's kingdom, it could be turned upside down and meant for good. Here's some of what Jesus said in that sermon. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Great is their reward in heaven. And Jesus went on from those famous blessings, those famous beatitudes, to preach a sermon about how to live and how to how to act and what our hearts and our our minds should be like, about how not just to avoid murder, but avoid actually having anger towards someone, to not just avoid adultery, but to avoid lust secretly in our mind and heart, that what happens within us matters because he doesn't want us to just be good on the outside, but on the inside. And he showed us how to do that. He modeled with his own life what that should look like. And then he ultimately gave his life on the cross to pay the price because he knew all of us would fall short of that perfect standard. And so he still made the way for us to be with him forever. Guys, I encourage you to spend a lot of time reading the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. You can find it all right there and make it your mission to live by those famous words of Jesus. And you, you will be walking in a way that pleases your heavenly father. There is so much gold in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you distill it down, maybe just into one principle of what is this sermon really all about? I think this might be one of the ways you could sum it up. Jesus's teachings reveal who God is and what God blesses. Because God wants you to know these things. He doesn't want to be a mystery to us. He wants us to know his heart, to know who he is. He's our loving father. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And then he wants us to know the kinds of actions and attitudes that will line us up to receive the blessings that he has for us. And blessing doesn't always mean material things. It doesn't mean that you, know, you, you follow these steps and God becomes this vending machine for you, just giving you what you want. But the real blessings he gives is his own presence, the joy and the peace that only he can bring. And he wants that to fill your heart. And if we'll do things his way, then He's not going to hold anything good back from us. So what does it look like to put this into action, to, to live out the teachings of Jesus? Um, a, a, I'll tell you a quick story that, I, that really inspired me. So Ashley and I have a podcast, and sometimes we interview folks. And one of the really interesting guests that we've interviewed this past year was an actor, a Christian actor in Hollywood named Eric Close. I brought a picture of him. You might not know his name, but I bet you've seen him in some stuff. He's a really good actor. He's been around a long time. And he had filmed a movie, a Christian movie about golf called Mulligan. They filmed right here in Georgia. Uh, it's a great movie. I encourage you to watch it. And so we were interviewing him about that. And whenever we interview someone, we always ask him, hey, um, tell us a story about how you met your wife. Because he's this guy in Hollywood who's been married to the same woman for many years. They've got a beautiful family, a thriving marriage. 
And he said, man, it's a great story. He said, here's what happened. He said, so I was a young actor um, and I, I was out in California. I had this friend in Texas who I hadn't talked to in probably at least a year, but I had given this guy my word. I said, I'll be in your wedding. He asked me to be a groomsman like a year before, but we'd kind of fallen out of touch. And all of a sudden I'm getting these acting opportunities and I feel like if I go do this wedding, I'm gonna miss out professionally on some big opportunities. So I end up calling my friend and I'm like, hey man, listen, I'm so sorry. I'm not gonna be able to do your wedding. And, and he said, oh, I understand. It's no problem. You got a lot of stuff going on. So, but then I went to church the next day and the preacher was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount and he, he camped out on one little line that Jesus said in that sermon. And it was about keeping your word. And the line was, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. It's just that simple. That as a follower of Jesus, we've gotta be people of our word because Jesus himself's the embodiment of truth and commitment. And we, his followers, we've gotta live that out in a world that's so flaky, in a world that doesn't keep its promises, we gotta be people of commitment. When we say yes, we've gotta mean it. And so he said, I really felt convicted. Like, like I gave my word, I need to follow through on that. Even if it means losing out on some opportunities, God doesn't bless that kind of action where I'm just always looking for the next best, best thing, even if it means breaking my word to people along the way. So I called my friend back up and I said, hey man, listen, um, I, I, I know I said I can't come yesterday, but I'm gonna make it there. I told you I was coming I wanna be there, I wouldn't miss it. And my friend was so excited, he said, oh man, that's great. He said, that's awesome, we're so glad you can come. So a few months later, I flew to this wedding, I was there just like I said I would be, and afterwards I went to the reception. And as soon as I walked into the reception, I locked eyes with this young woman and I said, who is that? <laughs> and long story short, that was my wife. Like God put me in a position where just by keeping my word, and showing up to a place that frankly, I didn't even really wanna to go to. He had a blessing lined up for me that is beyond any other blessing I've ever received. My wife was there and I don't know when or how I ever would have met her had I not followed through on my word in that moment. I would never even know what I missed out on. I would never know. And she's the greatest blessing in my life. And that story encouraged me and inspired me for a lot of reasons, but it was also just an important reminder that we've gotta be people who keep our word. And usually when we keep our word and we follow through with something, the, the result isn't gonna be that instant. It's not gonna be that tangible. We might on this side of heaven not even know the good that happened in our lives or through our lives because we said we followed through on a commitment that we made. But we can always know that God ultimately blesses us in seen ways and in unseen ways when we follow his teachings. And one of his teachings is simply to keep your word follow through on our commitments, even, even when we'd rather not. This is just something that Christians are called to do. All right, we're gonna go to the next stop of Jesus's teachings. One of Jesus' favorite ways to teach was in a form of what he called, uh, or what the Bible calls parables. Now, parables are stories that illustrate a point. Jesus was the best storyteller who ever lived. In a world where there wasn't you know, movies and, and all of that, TV, he was a master storyteller and people would hang on his every word. Now, Jesus, who made us and knows how we're wired, he knows that we respond to stories. We lean in. I mean, as a preacher, I know it. I can be up here and I can see like in your faces like that you guys are zoning out. Like, all right, I'm getting bored. I am ready to go. I can see it. I can see you. It's, I know what's going on. But then if I say, let me tell you a story, all of a sudden you wake up. You're like, what? Where? Story? I, I wanna know. I wanna know what the story is. When we just hear the word story, we lean in. It's more interesting. 
Jesus made us this way. He made us to be storytellers. He made us to respond to story. And so, so much of his teaching, in fact, most of his teaching was in the form of stories. One of the most famous stories he told, parables he told, was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And these stories, whether all of them were actual things that happened or whether they were fictional accounts that represent spiritual truths, what we know for certain is that every one of these stories has real and deep meaning that we are meant to follow, gold that we're meant to mine out and apply to our own lives. And with this story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus also gives a specific geographical context to make us think that this particular story might have been an actual true event because he gave us landmarks. A person was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, a common uh, route where people would travel that was known to be dangerous because of the bandits that would wait along this path. So let's read this story, and then we're going to go to this spot via video. I'm going to read the story from Luke chapter 10. And I'll give you a quick bit of context of how Jesus got to this story. So someone had come up to him and said, hey, teacher, what's the most important law? And Jesus said, most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, the second most important command is like the first. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. But the guy who asked this question was an educated guy, and any good Hebrew would have known that that's the most important thing in the Bible. So he kind of didn't want to look stupid, so he asked a follow-up question. All right, well, I knew that, but um, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus launched from that question into this story to show us what it means to be a good neighbor. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, and he passed by on the other side too. But then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay it the next time I'm here. Now, Jesus said, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now you go and do the same. We're not called to be like those guys who, these religious leaders, Jesus intentionally put religious leaders in the story who were, their religion was clearly just words. It was just for show because when they had a chance to put their faith into action by actually helping somebody, they didn't want to get involved. But then this Samaritan guy, a Samaritan was somebody who the Jews didn't get along with because of racial tensions and geographical tensions and different beliefs. This guy wasn't one of them, but he's the only one who was a neighbor. He's the one that showed what it's supposed to look like. He was the hero of the story and the example that we're to follow for how to treat one another, that we're called to expand our view of who's in our family, expand our view of who is our neighbor because God expanded his view to bring us into his family and then we are called to go and do the same for others. So I wanna take you to the spot where this path was between Jerusalem and Jericho, where, where people would have traveled in the ancient days, where bandits would have lied in wait. And so I'm doing this video from a gas station in front of a camel. First time I've ever seen a camel at a gas station. This one tried to bite me. Don't be distracted by that. This was a fun stop, so let's go there together. 
All right, friends, I'm in a really cool spot. This is the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. This is where the story of the Good Samaritan took place. It was a dangerous road with thieves, with bandits. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan as a way to show us what it meant to be a good neighbor. Someone was beaten and robbed on this road. The Good Samaritan is the one who stopped and helped. Right on this road, you would see camels going. Here's a camel behind me at a gas station, only in Israel, right? My son, Connor, you want to wave? Up on the camel, representing our, our traveler down this pathway. And it's just, it's such a cool place. It's the first time I've seen a camel at a gas station, frankly. And it's, uh, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around that. But this story of the Good Samaritan, which happened right on this pathway, again, it is one of the most compelling stories that Jesus shares to challenge us in practical terms to meet people where they are, to serve when we can, and when we see someone in need, to step in and meet that need. And I'm also going to recommend if you ever happen to see a camel at a gas station, then pay the five bucks to get on the camel. That's my advice for the day. All right. See you next time, guys. That was a fun, a fun, memorable stop. So what does it look like for us to put that Good Samaritan teaching into action, to be the neighbor that God called us to be, to reach out to others whenever we can? Well, to me, one of the most difficult stops on our whole trip is, and I wanted to make sure that we, we did this because I knew it would be difficult, but I knew that it would also be deeply meaningful, is we went together to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And we walked through the halls and, and through the displays and the exhibits. Many of them were heartbreaking to see and to read and to, and to hear about that over 6 million Jews were killed by the Nazis between 1939 and 1945. A million and a half of those were children. They have a whole separate memorial there just to honor the children who died. And it's one of the most heartbreaking places I've, I've ever been. And yet, even with the heaviness of this place and the heartbreak of it, to see the absolute depravity and evil that human beings are capable of sinking to, to harm one another, there was also hope and light as we saw stories of people who put this teaching of Jesus into practice, people who risked their own lives and their own families and their own wealth and their own everything to open up their homes and to, and to hide and to help families who were trying to escape this horrendous persecution during this time. Christians like uh, the woman Corey Tin Boom, who used her home almost like the Underground Railroad to help people who were escaping, and later wrote a book called *The Hiding Place* about her her family's sacrifice in doing this and the joy that it brought her to help people the way that she knew that Jesus would. There was a huge display to honor the man Oscar Schindler, who uh, maybe you've seen the movie or heard about the movie *Schindler's List*. He was a man who was a German who would have said that he followed Jesus, but really up until the Holocaust, his life wouldn't have shown that. He, he, he was just about himself. He was selfish. He was a womanizer. He was all about money. He was all about power. But then he got confronted in a way that only God can do when he started seeing people all around him being enslaved and killed. And it became a defining moment for him where he realized, I can't live for myself anymore. That's an empty way to live. When there are neighbors, brothers and sisters around me, yeah, they might be of a, of a, of a different tribe, but they're, they're part of the family of God. And I've got to do whatever I can do to save as many of them as I can. And this man who'd lived selfishly up to that point changed dramatically and started leveraging everything he had, all of his money, all of his influence, everything he had to save as many 
Jews as possible, compiling a list, which is where the Schindler's List film name comes from. Every name that he could think of, every person that he knew of that was trapped in a concentration camp to get them out under the guise of working at his factories, but really it was all just a rescue mission. And at the end of that movie about his life, the scene that that took place in real life, when he comes to the end of the war and he's looking around at these countless people that he has saved and helped, families and children, and all that's going to happen because he saved these people. He looks around and instead of just feeling gratitude for what he's done, instead he's still feeling so convicted about what more he could have done. And he starts looking at, at what he has left and he's, he's, he looks at a ring on his finger and he said, I, I can't believe I kept this ring. He said, I could have gotten one person for this ring. I, I, I could have gotten a person. This, this is worth a person's life and I kept it. What was I thinking? And he was getting ready to get into his car to, to go and escape the, the few Nazis who were left that would have hunted him down and tried to kill him. And he, he got in this car and he said, he said, why did I keep this car? I mean, this car, I could have sold this car. I could have saved five people, maybe 10 people, like real people's lives. I can't believe that I held on to this. This is worthless in comparison to what I could have done to help more people. And all, instead, all these people who he had helped, they just hugged him and they held him. And one of his bre- best friends, he held him and he said, there will be generations because of what you did. He said, you did so much. You did all you could and more. And as he drives away, his heart is still broken thinking about the more that he could have done. And I think in some ways, even though God, yes, he calls us to live at peace and not to just live broken and burdened all the time, I do think that, that for some of us, myself included, we need more of a burden for those who are around us. We need our hearts to break a little bit more when we see the devastation of our brothers and sisters and neighbors around us, whether they're in our neighborhood or whether they're on the other side of the world, to say, God, what can I do? I maybe not can't help everybody, but show me how I can help somebody. Show me how I can, I can you know, sponsor one kid through compassion. Show me how I can you know, help one family through our dream center here in town. Show me how I can do something, how I can roll up my sleeves and, and volunteer and, and rock precious babies right here at our church and our nursery. Show me how I can do something, Lord, because all of us can do something. So let's put our faith into action. That's the last principle. That's what Jesus' teachings really come down to. Jesus' teachings challenge us to put our faith into action. He didn't come just to give us a set of beliefs. He came to give us marching orders for how to go out into this world and turn it into a better place for his glory. And all of us are called to be part of that mission. You and I have been given gifts and resources and abilities and opportunities to make a difference. So let's put this into action today and let's commit and recommit to one another that we're gonna live wholeheartedly for Jesus. We're gonna build our lives on the foundation of his word so that when the storms of life come, we'll be able to weather those storms. But it isn't just about our comfort. We're gonna put his words into action so that we can help those all around us. We can show the world, this broken world, that there's hope and healing in Jesus. And we're gonna show it with our words, but we're also gonna show it by putting our faith into action. So let's do that together. As we close today, would you stand with me? I just wanna pray a prayer of blessing over you. If you're here in this campus, you're at Grovetown, you're at South Campus, you're, you're listening to this sermon in your car on a road trip somewhere. If you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, his teachings all point to that first and foremost. He doesn't just wanna give his principles to live by, he offers himself. 
His teachings point us to him as our Lord and our Savior, the only one who can save your soul, the only one who can give meaning to your life and hope for your eternity. And today can be the day that you receive that gift he's offered. He's already done all the work. He gave his life for you. He rose from the dead for you. He came for you. And today can be the day that you say, Lord, I'm tired of running. Bring me home and he will do the rest. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every person here, for every person at every campus. God, together, collectively, we commit or recommit to living by your word, to following your teachings, to pursuing your word, God, to not just filling up our minds and our hearts with all the junk of this world and giving you the the crumbs of our leftovers, but to carving out time with you, to get alone with you in your word, to put your word deep in our hearts so that we know it and we're led by it. God, for anybody here that has not yet made the best decision of their life to put their life and soul and eternity into your hands, let today be the day that they say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. Make me into the person I was meant to be. I give you my life, my past, my present, my future. And I I commit to following your word all my life and putting my faith into action to help those around me. And for all of us, Lord, thank you for for letting us be part of a church that is committed to those things, committed to your word, committed to helping the community around us and the world around us for your glory. And let us all find our place in that mission. None of us are meant to be on the sidelines. God, put us in the game. Let us help, whether it's getting a backpack full of school supplies for a kid this week, whether it's, it's doing something so big it scares us. Let us always say yes to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for his goodness. Love you, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.